Hello and welcome back to your 45th edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. This week I'm rejoined by digital editor Nick Powell and assistant editor Ben Jacob, and we bring you a slightly delayed episode after the events of last week. Plenty on the menu today as we talk to former Worcester Warrior and current England and Bath Centre Ollie Lawrence. What a day it is. I feel compelled to say, first of all, that at the time of recording, Eddie Jones has just been dismissed by the RFU. Um, it's a topic that we will go into in another episode, so stay tuned for that. But while we've got Bar Centre on Ollie Lawrence, there's a, there are plenty of other things I want to talk about. How are you, Ollie? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. All if good. It, obviously, you're still commuting back and forth between Bath and Worcester. Is that dragging a little bit by this point? Uh We've been fortunate enough to, we've been staying down pretty much most couple of nights a week. So it's not been too bad, but yeah, it's get the last seven, eight weeks. It's been, uh, it's not ideal, but I, I mean, best case scenario, we've, um, we've been like, like I said, we've been fortunate enough to be carrying on playing rugby. So I can, I can deal with uh, staying away from home for a couple of weeks. And then, um, yeah, I actually moving down next week, uh, down to Bath. So fully settling in then, hopefully. My first question for you is with the situation you're in now, obviously tearing up for Bath, do you feel lucky? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think I'm very fortunate. The fact I managed to pick something up so quickly. Um, there's obviously a lot of boys that didn't manage to get things straight away. Um, and I guess the way things worked out for me, being able to get involved and kind of only really missing out on two weeks worth of rugby was made it. Yeah, I do feel very fortunate um, and grateful for the opportunity that, that Bath gave me. You've probably been told a few times about that game against Saracens where you made 254 metres ball in hand. Is that, a, is that a personal record? Do you know of any other time where you've made quite that much ground? Uh, I think he actually got he actually got dialed down a bit, the numbers actually, after the game. Uh, but no, I think that's probably one of the, um, yeah, probably one of the, the highest metres I've had. Has confidence ever been higher on a rugby pitch than it is now? Um, it's probably up there. I think at the moment I'm just kind of, like I said, you touched on earlier about like being, being fortunate to be in the position to be able to play. I think I'm just enjoying my rugby and taking taking each game as it comes and uh, trying to take the opportunity I can. Um, and I think that's probably probably shown in my performances over the over the last couple of months, really. 100% has. And you came into a Bath team, which was, you know, we had Cam Redpath on a little while back and we also had Max Ajoma on a, a few months before that. And we spoke about the identity crisis at Bath. And you were coming into a club that still, you know, is very much going through that. But you're also coming into a midfield that was absolutely stacked with, names and talent Redpath, Joseph Ajomo but did you feel you were coming in with a point to prove not just to yourself but at Bath you know you've made that 13 jersey your own and did you feel like it was going to be coming in uh no I think going there I think one of the reasons I chose Bath was because of the opportunities to like have that level of competition within the centres um I think we all offer different things individually um, and we can we all learn off each other um, and I think that it was a good opportunity for me to go to a place where I can challenge myself um, and obviously playing with Cam before playing with JJ before and then now having the opportunity to play with Max and Butty uh, it's been great I've, I've really enjoyed it so far and um, yeah it's, it seems to be working over the last over the last few weeks and hopefully moving forward it can it, it can continue well, I was just going to ask um, when you started out those first few matches for Bath particularly obviously the Saracens game, but but some of the other performances as well. Was there kind of like a feeling, I'm sure you're you're fully settled in now, but was there a feeling that you kind of had nothing to lose because all this weight and, you know, I'm sure obviously the news of it, of Worcester going into administration wasn't good, but being able to come to a new club with all this weight off your shoulders and just go out there and play rugby again? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, I, think I just kind of wanted to pay payback kind of bar for firstly like give me the opportunity to to be playing professional rugby and be at, be at a, such a like historical club with with such a an, an immense background in 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 the game and I think also kind of I wanted to put a performance out there which kind of made the boys at Worcester proud as well I think being obviously a part of that team for such a long time um, and obviously knowing a lot of them hadn't got hadn't got clubs I wanted to like I said earlier make make the most of every opportunity so I was going out there knowing that I've been given this opportunity. I wanted to take it with both hands and make sure I, I made use of, of the fact I was I was playing rugby still. But yeah, absolutely. And leaving leaving Worcester and joining a new club mid season must have been you know, pretty daunting and obviously helped with Ted Hill amongst other players making the same switch. But joining a new team sort of unexpectedly can't have been easy. Uh yeah, no, I think it was it was difficult. Um it's always 
weird when you move around clubs and you meet new people. But fortunately enough, I, I knew quite a lot of people at Bath, so I think it kind of helped me with um, with the transition. Uh, and then obviously a few of the uh, the Worcester boys also followed me afterwards, which made it even easier. And I think everyone was really welcoming at Bath, which which made it a lot easier as well. We'll touch upon the Worcester situation a little bit later. I'm just curious in terms of your ties to Worcester still, in terms of coaching staff, other players, etc. I noticed that Worcester's local reporting, they're still reporting on every time you or Ted Hill have a barnstorming game, which is quite frequently at the moment. But do you still feel a, like a Worcester warrior to an extent? Yeah, I think I always will. Um, I think it's it's where I grew up. It's where I started playing my rugby when I was 14, 15. Um, they gave me the opportunity to make my premiership debut and obviously I led on to having my international debut from the opportunities that I got at Worcester. So I think I'll always be like a warrior at heart um, and that will always be like fond memories that I have at the club. But now obviously wearing, wearing a new set of colours, it's kind of you have to adapt. You kind of have to let what's been in the past, leave it there and kind of move forward with it. But just with a heavy heart I think at the same time uh, but yeah no, I'll always be a, like, a, like a warrior uh, deep down but like I said now I've got to kind of get used to wearing the, the blue black and white you're wearing the blue black and white and very much doing the jersey justice what do you, exactly do you think has clicked I'm right in saying you were nominated for player of the month was that for October or November uh, I'm not sure I, I'm not <laughs> okay. sure I'm not sure I think <laughs> it's one of the, you, you, one you, of you the were nominated months, weren't you um, but you've obviously slotted in as if not only just as someone who is not new to the club, but also someone who's not going through what you've been through. What's gone right since you've got to Bath? Um, I think it's just the freedom kind of since coming in. Yeah, you know, said to me from the start, like he wanted me to come in and make a difference. And that's what I, that's what I tried to do. Um, I tried to offer myself up in, in all areas across the field and whether it was in training, meetings, um, even the small things, just getting to know different boys. Like I just wanted to give give it everything. And I think, yeah, things have clicked clicked for me. I think for the team, we're, we're building on week in, week out and we're kind of getting to a position where we're being a bit more consistent in certain areas of the field where we weren't at the start of the season. But yeah, no, I'm, like I said, I'm just enjoying my rugby. I think the the new environment, the new challenge, I think it's something that I needed. Um, and I think it came at a time where, obviously with all the uncertainty going on, it was probably the best thing for me. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at now. Can I ask, you said new environment, new challenge was something that you needed. Was it going to be heading that way anyway? The rugby paper published on sale, potentially scooping you up. Um, that article came out, I think it was September, mid-September. Had sale been in touch at all? Uh, no, I hadn't personally spoken to them at the time when that came out. I think uh, every time, this was the first year I'd come out of contract at Worcester at the end of that season. I think when you're at a club for a long time, I think it always comes a point where you do need to look at a new a new challenge. Um, whether that is because of the environment, whether that's because of your playing style, multiple reasons. And I think for me, I never kind of got round to the point of thinking, oh, do I need to leave Worcester? Do I not? But I think this opportunity kind of presented itself and it's one that I'm I'm glad that I took. Who knows what would have happened if Worcester had stayed in the league as to whether I would have stayed or not. I'd like to think I would have, but I guess that, that circumstance never really happened. You've obviously been reunited with international age group mate Cam Redpath who has been 12 for several of your games since you got to Bath. Do you think that's contributed to helping you slot in so well at 12, uh, 13? Sorry. Yeah, definitely. Like me and Cam speak basically, well, when I was at Worcester, we spoke every day, basically for the whole three, four years that we were separate. Um, and I think knowing how each other plays and obviously knowing each other so well, like he's one of my best mates, um, it probably, yeah, it does help. Uh, we can have those conversations, whether it's tough conversations or, Conversation just about general play about like how we want to go about the game and I think in general we've uh, we've managed to build on our connections from back in the twenties age group before we decided to move over to the old Scotland. How did you feel when he went over to Scotland? I know it was a little while ago now. Uh, no, I was happy for him. I think it's something we'd spoken about um, quite in depth over probably like a year year or two, and it was something that I knew that he really wanted was to kind of get onto the international stage and kind of show his credentials and. Being a player that like everyone knows he can be. And I don't think that was coming at the time with him for England and I think with his family and obviously his dad Brush playing for Scotland as well. Um, I think kind of that's what he wanted to do. Uh, and I'm glad he made that decision at the time because like I said, he managed to get on and make his debut, actually made his debut against each other, which was also quite funny. But now I'm really happy for him and I think he's gonna kick on in the Scotland Scotland colours. When you came in at Bath, I've already mentioned that sort of identity crisis and last season was 
a bit of a horror season um, in a lot of respects. Did you get that impression that you were coming into a club that was very much going through its own sort of genesis moment? Uh, I got a sense of change that was coming uh, with Bath when I I came. And I think there was a sense of it needed the buy-in from everybody and the belief that it will click. It just is going to take time. Like things don't just happen overnight. Um, And I think with the right people in charge and the right mindset within the group, it can take you a a long way. Um, And I think I came at a time when that was just about to click. And I think since then we've started to progress massively and take huge strides forwards. Like we're nowhere near like the finished article, but we're really building on something. Um, And I think we can take it forward another level. It's and um, like I said, we've been we've lost games this season by six points, five points, uh, and it's it's been close. It's it's come down to whether it's conversions or penalties that we've missed. So we are in games and we are close. It's just putting a full eighty minutes together, and that's something Johan touched on me before I joined. Is that he hadn't seen a full eighty minute performance from us yet, um, and I think we're getting close to to close to doing that now. Which performance has you as a group been most ha- most happy with so far? Then I'd say probably that Leicester game. I think the we obviously weren't favourites going into the game um, against obviously like the the previous champions and obviously they had opportunities in that game to to probably take it completely away from us, um, but we held in there like the whole game like we stuck to what we wanted to do we played in the right areas of the field probably had a few moments where we were fortunate uh, which could have gone either way but I said like I said like we wanted to put an eighty minute performance again together and we managed to score in like eighty second or eighty third minute. Um, so I, I think that kind of summed up really staying in it through the 80 minutes and obviously we got the reward at the end. And final question on Bath before we move on a little bit to what happened a couple of months ago. I asked Cam this as well. I asked him to stick his neck out and give a solid prediction for where you'll end up in in the ta- in the Gallagher Premiership table. So could I ask you to do the same? Oh, yeah, really putting us on a spot. I'd like to say that I think we're going to finish between fourth and sixth. Hopefully push for fourth. I know the rugby paper, we have a lot of, lot of Bath fans um, as both readers and listeners to the pod. So they'll be pushing you all the way as well. Right. Let's speak about one of the elephants in the room. And that is obviously what happened a couple of months ago. If I can ask you to flash back to August and September, when it was obviously becoming publicly slightly clear at this point that Worcester were heading towards administration. What was it like to be a player and in a player cohort going through that when you've obviously got to still get your head down and work towards this club's future when you don't know whether this club's future is one month two months or potentially you know even less than that no it was difficult um i'm not gonna say it was was easy there was some tough conversations that we had within the group with the boys whether it was the staff um as a team uh and there was a lot of uncertainty no one really knew what was happening it was a lot of paper talk it was us not really knowing a lot of what was going on, like even Dimes didn't really know what was going on half the time because uh, we weren't getting that communication. But the main thing for us is like we just wanted to focus on the rugby. Like it's so hard to to do that when you don't even know if you can have a job in a, a week or two's time. But I guess that's kind of credit to a lot of the boys really. Like we just stuck, we just stuck in it. Uh, we tried to do everything that we could to just put everything to one side when it came to training and when it came to playing games, but. It was always in the back of people's minds is because we never knew what was going to happen. And then slowly it just seemed to be getting worse and worse. Was there a moment before it started to go public that there were issues that you knew something was wrong? Yeah, on a different podcast, Matt Cavelli was talking about tape running out or something like that. There was there was a few issues like that, like they weren't getting tape. And then the week before our Newcastle game, there was something to do with the, the player insurance there was things like when we weren't able to get coaches to the games, we had to get other people to to try and help us with that. Small things like that started to like creak. And I think that kind of then became present that you know, things weren't going to go great. Uh, and then that last game, heading into the Newcastle game, when we had a Zoom call with the RPA, the RFU and the Prem Rugby, and they said that it was likely we were going to be suspended following our Newcastle game. I think that's when everything clicked really that, yeah, that, that, that was going to be our last game. Yeah, from the outside looking in, um, Steve Diamond looked the perfect man for the job because of you know how one how caring, but also how honest he, he seems. Um, certainly the way he handled the situation. And how did you feel he handled the debacle? And I presume he really wished you well at Bath after you after you left. Yeah, I think Dimes has a perception of being this like tough bully character. Um, and I don't think people really realise how good he is at being able to manage players. I think 
he was as open with us as he could be. Um, obviously, there's certain things that he probably didn't want to tell us to, because he knew that we had to either go out to training or we had to go and play games. But he kept the group together and that was like the hardest thing to do at that point because there was players thinking, right, I'm, I've got to find a new club. Uh, right, if I get injured on the weekend, am I going to be insured? If I get injured and the club's no longer going to be here, like what's going to happen next? So like all these questions were coming at him left, right and centre and he didn't really, like he all he could do was answer them as honestly as he could and try and get us in a mindset to be like, right, let's pitch up and we'll see what happens. But I, I can only credit Dimes for the way he handled things at Worcester. He managed to keep that squad together. And I think even now when we speak, quite a lot of the Worcester boys still in touch. Obviously, me still living here at the moment. We just speak about in general, like how well we thought we could have done this season and where we were as a team. We we thought we got to a place where we were finally clicking and it's a shame that that was taken away from us. But yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's a very sad thing, but um, it's where we're at now, I guess. Yeah, I spoke to numerous um, Wasps players in our Young Guns column and they all kept saying, you know, it's fine. We've heard it's all going to be okay. Then a few weeks later, they're, they're made redundant. Um, having that clarity is, is crucial, isn't it? Especially for younger players. Yeah, definitely. I think there always has to be open dialect when it comes to this sort of thing. It's it's a very touchy subject, but like there's a lot of boys that wouldn't pick up clubs as easily as others. And I think them knowing that, they, it's like it's important. Jesus, bless me. Bless you. <laughs> um, and can you describe the moment where it became official? And when you knew maybe you'd already laid the groundwork for looking elsewhere, but was there a moment where you were like, oh shit, like now the time has really come? Yeah, it was It was after that Zoom call, uh, the two days before we were due to play Newcastle. Um, we had a squad decision as to whether we were going to play the game or not, because at the end of the day, we knew we were going to be suspended on the Monday. Boys were worried about getting injured, um, how, how things would turn out for them then. Um, and I think that was the reality then when everyone kind of went home, obviously spoke to their family or or friends and kind of say, well, this is it. Like, this is going to be our last game that we're ever going to have at six race together. We hoped it wasn't going to be, but we, in the back of our mind, we kind of thought, well, it's going to be a while until we're back playing again. Um, and I think, yeah, that, that, that day was a, it was a tough day. It was an emotional day for a lot of people, especially behind the scenes. I guess our performance on the field was kind of one of... This is our last time. Let's enjoy it. Let's go out there, get a win, and um, let's celebrate afterwards. And then what will be, will be. Yeah, I was just going to ask, what were those celebrations like afterwards? I mean, it must be so weird. Lots of people in the, in the squad sort of parting ways in a way, but a great note to finish on. Yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, it was it was it was good because we all well. My birthday was actually the week before, so we'd always planned to be going out on the Saturday after the game with all the with all the partners and all the players. And then obviously, once we started to find out what was happening and we knew that this game was probably going to be our last, we got all the staff and everyone involved. And it was just kind of, it was a really good night just to kind of be with everyone that we'd obviously been around for the last however many years. And there was nothing that we could do to change anything. All it was going to be was a, a waiting game then. So yeah, it was a good night. We had a great time. It was nice to see everybody. And then yeah, few of us kicked on for a couple of days afterwards. Uh, and then I was about it. I think that is a nice moment to have, isn't it? You You were quite outspoken at the time if I can ask you about Colin Goldring and Jason Whittingham. I'm curious, first of all, what their actual relation with the club was in terms of managing it, overseeing it. And obviously we've spoken about lack of clarity. Is that simply because they were passive bystanders with the club as well? Their, their role wasn't particularly actually involved. Uh, yeah, I guess you could you could put it like that. Um, I think they weren't in the building on our side, in terms of the rugby side, for a good six months, we didn't see them. They didn't speak to us. They'd be at games, um, I'm pretty sure. But in terms of coming over to the far side, seeing how we were, talking to us about any of this situation, was that never happened. Um, and I think that kind of really left a sour taste, to be honest with you, because they must have seen this coming and, and known what they were doing. And they left us, uh, they hung us out to dry, basically. And I think everything's coming out now as to what they've done. Um, and obviously they're being reprimanded for for their actions um, as they should be. But I guess it's kind of a lesson, really, that that kind of that communication has to be had. Like if if you are struggling as a club, like the first people that need to know about it is the, is the players and stuff. Because without us, you don't have a club in the, in the first place. Like we're the ones going out there every weekend trying to get results for people that knew that this club wasn't even going to be a thing in in six months' time. So I think that kind of says a lot about them, really. 
Is there, in your eyes, is there main wrongdoing, that lack of communication and clarity of the financial situation? Uh, I think their main wrongdoing really is they bought a club off the basis of thinking that they could make money away from rugby. Um, and that was their main focus. And I think after you can see everything that's come out, come out, you can see that their incentive was never the rugby. It was always just the profit they could make from the six ways itself uh, and the surrounding areas. Um, and like I said, in, in a rugby club, that, that no real club is really profitable. There isn't really many. But you don't want to have people coming in that don't really care about the rugby. Um, and in my opinion, they didn't care about the rugby. Because if they did, they would have they would have spoken to the, the people that are actually working for them before allowing all of this to unfold. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. We've mentioned the celebrations and the the player bonding that can happen before and afterwards. Were you guys also able to talk about this and still able are able to talk about this in a healthy way? And yeah, even now, obviously, especially you having come up through the academy, it's essentially a grieving process. And obviously, that's a difficult process. Are you able to talk about this and have that sort of outlet if you need it? Or, you know, is, is rugby that outlet for you and being able to tear up in a bath shirt? Yeah, I think my main distraction was kind of, and the best thing for me was to move to a new club and kind of crack on with things because it was a distraction that I never knew I needed. But now looking back on it, if I'd have just been sat at home, going into the club and training, not knowing what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my, the rest of the year, or if I'm even going to pick up a club, like I wouldn't have been, I would have just gone insane really. I would have been sat at home, not knowing what to do. So the fact I was able to pick up a club so quickly it probably took away that distraction and probably in a way took my mind off of what had happened and kind of I was forced in a way to not to think about what was going on at Worcester. Like although I was keeping tabs on everything that was going on, whether that was in the group chat or online, like I was forced to have my attention focused on Bath. Um, and I think that was the best thing um, that could have happened to me at the time. Not the only one to move on from Worcester and Excel. Finn Smith, a young fly half, is thriving since joining Northampton. How pleased are you for him? Because obviously he's a he's a quality player and someone who deserves a really bright future. Yeah, no, Finn. Finn's a top lad. I remember when I first came in and he started pushing through um, into the first team. Uh, I wasn't actually too sure about him at first because he came kind of with this with this sense of. He was a very confident player, a uh, very outspoken person, but for someone that's in his position, I think that's the best thing you can be. Um, and he's an extremely talented player. And I knew whichever club he went to, he was going to thrive at. Um, and I'm literally, I'm buzzing for him uh, that he's gone on to to play at Saints and to be carving up the way he is. And I've been speaking to him basically, well, I speak to him every day. So it's it's good to, it's good, it's good to see him flying uh, for Saints. Um, but I think wherever he would have gone, um, it would have been the same result. I'd imagine that's an immense form of emotional and mental retribution to, you know, you yourself doing doing so well, Ted Hill doing so well, Finn doing so well as well, seeing these guys who are able to thrive, you know, beyond that sort of suffering. Yeah, I think it just, I think it really shows and highlights how many class players we had at Worcester. I think we were always looked at as a team that underperformed and probably results-wise, we did. Um, but if you just look at the players that have left and gone on and played, like look at Finn, you look at Ted, you look at Berg, um, Jay Tyak at Bristol, Bats, Ethan Waller, Nylana, all these players that have gone on to go and play. Gaz Simpson played for the Barbars, was carving up. Like All these players that have gone on and played at other clubs and basically starting week in and week out at these clubs, um, I think it really shows you how good we had a squad and like I said to you earlier like things just wasn't clicking for us um, and I know that's easy to say but we were at a point where we were clicking um, and we got to the stage where things were about to about to be special I think and I think that was off the back of last season and obviously winning that Prem Cup uh, with London Irish which to a lot of people and probably to a lot of teams probably doesn't mean much but it was the first bit of silverware that we'd, we'd won in a long time and it was the back of it was the back of that leading into the season that kind of I think rebuilt us as a squad and kind of brought us tighter and I think that's when uh that's why the whole the whole situation made uh was made so much harder you were quoted I think it was by Sky Sports talking about how the Worcester situation can't be allowed to happen again and obviously very very sadly the same thing did happen again um obviously di different circumstances uh and we're not going to get into that today but 10 days later with wasps I'm just curious how what about the timeline of when Alfie Barbary 
got to bark and to yours and Ted Hill's role in that process. Because although you were still very much in the early days and still are very much in the early days of you going through that, I guess you could relate to some extent. Um, unfortunately, Alfie's been injured. He still is injured, if I'm not wrong, yeah. which which won't yeah. have helped. But I guess you guys would have understood and maybe been a very, very good source of pick-me-up for him. Yeah, definitely. I think I, I've known Alfie for a while now. And I think when he when he came uh, to Bath, we had a little chat about everything that had happened at, at Wasps. And it, we literally were like, it's word for word kind of what had happened at Worcester. Bar a few things that were, were a bit different. But in general, he's one of those guys that, takes things how it is I think it would have been sad for him to have left Wasps the exact same how it was for us to leave Worcester but he's just grateful that he's got the opportunity to be at Bath now and obviously hopefully fighting back fit um, in the new year yeah how far away is he I'm not 100% sure I think around Feb March time okay all right well yeah obviously massive boost if he's back to the running definitely in the new year um let's lighten the mood a bit it's time for your round of rugby 15 (laughs) you ready to get going yeah all good nickname it's a long story. My nickname's Young Sine. I probably don't have the time to go into why it's called that, but basically, it's my gaming handle for for, for my uh, for my for my, my uh, part time life. Um, it's back. It started back when I was about eighteen. One of the boys we was listening to the song, and yeah, it basically caught on, and it has progressed onto there. Now uh, a lot of the boys are Worcester call me that, and it's a it's a nickname that's. Uh, I don't think many of the Bath boys know about it yet, but I'm, I'm sure they will do at some point. Yeah, well, they probably will do now that you've said it. Best rugby memory? There's a few. I think, obviously, my premiership debut um, for Worcester. My international debut was probably a very special moment for me. But I think, like I kind of said earlier, winning that Prem Cup, although it's not like a huge competition, like it's, I've been part of that team for so long. Um, that really like was a special moment for me. Um, and kind of winning in the way we did, obviously, going into extra time. Um, drawing the game and then winning on the tries, it was just yeah, it was uh, a real, a real, a real silver lining on on that season and kind of my season as well with the, obviously being out injured so much. Yeah. Um, it was really nice to have uh, have won something with them. Yeah, awesome. I have a guess for what this one's gonna be. Most embarrassing <laughs> rugby memory. Yeah, my first try for England <laughs> against USA. Uh, yeah, my uh, my ass coming out. Um, um, yeah, at uh, Twickenham, probably and uh, all over uh, social media after the game wasn't my finest moment. I haven't looked that hard, but I haven't actually found the right angle. If that, <laughs> that makes sense, because the cameraman was generous to you and switched round when. Yeah, so God. I'm, I'm not sure if that is actually online. Um, I'm sure it's somewhere. Pre-game tune. I'm pretty easy going before a game. Uh, I'll listen to anything I'm familiar to. Uh, it's usually the same playlist every week. You'll have uh, Bryson Tiller's music, Dave, Drake, Burner Boy, people like that. Nice. Post-game meal? Uh, anything that's usually pasta-based. Nice. Best player you've played against? Yeah, it's got to be Marcus. I think what he does with the ball is something that I don't think has been seen in rugby for a long time. I think the way he came through over the last couple of seasons... Yeah, he's he's an unbelievable talent. I think he's one he's one of a generational talent. So I think he's got to be up there. But I also have to say Semi Radraja as well. He's probably one of the best players I've played against. It wasn't a fun eighty minutes um, playing against uh, playing against him. Um, but yeah, no, they, I, those two are probably up there. And you played with Marcus. I'm trying to think. Is it only in once? That, yeah, just it, once it, in just that USA once, game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So is he the best player you have played with? He's probably up there. But I think the best player I've played with is Bryce Hume. I think I've just never seen a player be able to do what he can do. It got to a point where you'd give Bryce the ball and you'd just watch and he would just go through everyone and then it'd be like, he scored or he set up a try. He's just an absolute freak of a player um, and he's someone that is a legend at Worcester. Um, such a great bloke. And just kind of had that kind of personality where he was he was chilled. Uh, he knew when to switch it on, knew when to switch it off. Um, but yeah, probably the, he's probably the best player that I think is someone not everyone would probably rate, but at Worcester, if you if you if you said the name Bryce Hume, I think everyone would be like he's probably one of the best players to know put on the shirt. Favorite player right now? That's hard as well. Actually, to be fair, I think after playing the Barbars of the week and seeing how good Damian McKenzie is and watching him over the last few weeks, he's an incredible player. I genuinely is unbelievable. Like we were playing in like such wet conditions of the week, and he was just fizzing past his left, right, and centre. Um, and obviously got the drop goal to win, which yeah. was annoying for us. But I mean, fair play to him. 
Um, but he's, yeah, at the moment, him. And to be fair, probably Finn Russell as well. I think after everything that happened with him at Scotland, being pulled into, obviously, back into camp, and he carved up in the autumn. Um, and I think, in general, he always just looks like he's enjoying himself, doesn't he? Uh, and I think, for me, that's that's what I love about about him. He's got similar, like, that's a similar pers- personality trait to me. Like, I like to be chilled. I like to be smiling on the field. And he always looks like he's having fun when he's doing it. So, yeah. Rugby idol. It's growing up. There was there was always two. It was Sonny Bill and, and Manny. Um, those are the those are the two that I, I always watched when I started getting into watching rugby. Unfortunately, I haven't had the opportunity uh, to play with or against Manny yet. Um, yeah. But yeah, that'll be that'll be not. Uh, well, I say it'll be nice. I'm not sure if it'd be nice on the day. <laughs> but yeah, to play against someone that I've kind of looked up to um, growing up and always watching him, that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, puts into perspective how young yeah. you still are as well. Uh, <laughs> favorite stadium. Uh, Twickenham has to be up there, I think, obviously, because it's the international international stadium. Um, but I've actually never played in front of a full crowd there, which uh, which is a shame. So I think I'm going to have to put my favourite stadium as the Stade Francais Arena. I played there when I was 18 or 19 for Worcester, um, and the atmosphere was just insane. Like that whole week, like being in Paris, uh, building to the game, we literally were like, we had such a rotation of teams, all the young lads were out. Uh, other than Vinand, actually, Vinand Olivier, who was outside me, who came on. And I think there was like a 17-year age gap between us. And the fact we managed to pull it off and win there was amazing. But the noise and the stand there was something, it was incredible. Yeah, well, it's been in full force this past autumn, hasn't it? With all the live yeah. shows and everything like that. It's been incredible. Favourite gym exercise? None. Genuinely, I do not like the gym. I honestly like. Really? I absolutely like my SNC is gonna not hit, like like me for saying this, but everybody knows I do not like the gym. It's just not fun. Like it's not fun going into the gym and like lifting all this like really heavy weight, and it like you feel absolutely drained afterwards. Like I want to play rugby. Like I don't want to be like in the gym. Like when I finish playing rugby, you will not see me in the gym. It's impossible. It's not gonna I- happen. How are you so big then? Just I don't know. Maybe I've got thanks to my dad for this and his genetics because honestly, <laughs> I, I really don't enjoy the gym. It's such an important part of the game and it's something that you have to do. Like it's the same with anything. Like there's gonna be things you love about doing your job and there's gonna be things that you hate. And gym is something that I really don't like. I just don't find any enjoyment in it at all. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna have to push you for some exercise. Uh what do I even um uh, um, oh, can I say the music station? Like, I'd like to go towards there in the gym. Now nah, we're just going like box squat. That's supposed to be the easiest standard. Okay, just nice. Yeah. Okay, box squat. We uh, that's actually a new one. We haven't had box squat yet. Occupation if rugby didn't exist, I would one hundred percent go back to playing cricket again. Um, I, when I start, I still to this day like I do question it and think of how much better like my body would be if I just stuck with cricket. But I loved playing cricket as a kid. Like I was so much better at cricket than rugby, and I literally I'd watch it all the time. Less so test match, more so like ODI stuff and T Twenty stuff. But yeah, definitely would be it'd be cricket. I'd give that a go and see see where I can take it. Well, you've just said less so test match, so I'm guessing you didn't watch the Rowell Pindy test. No, I definitely did you watch. Did. I okay. watched I watched the highlights. I watched the highlights from the last day. Yeah, unreal, no. Yeah, no, it's class. There's been some unbelievable moments uh for the uh the England cricket team over the last couple of years. So when did you give up cricket fully? Was it school? Sixteen. I basically like I was playing at oh, Warwickshire really? from when I was nine or ten, um, yeah. up until fifteen, sixteen, and then I made my England 16s debut and then I decided to go to Bromsgrove and then kind of just focused on the rugby and then I think it was about 17 I was like yeah I want to give this a go and see see if I can get get a contract and uh, yeah. start playing at, playing, playing at Worcester because you were were you a batter? Uh, I was a batter all rounder so like I'd bowl a bit but mainly I was a batter yeah like I just loved knocking them all about it was just it was just fun it's just one of those sports where I just I just loved yeah. it Surely the shoulder would struggle to, you know, get. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll be able to get it round this these days. I think I'd like pop my AC or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I can relate. What did you bowl, Ollie? Uh, well, I'd say pace, but I don't think you class me as pace. I wouldn't say it was quick, but uh, I tried to get it down there as fast as possible. Doblers. Yeah, basically, Dobl- doblers is the word. Yeah. Either doblers, and if I got if I got hit for a boundary, it was going short straight away, straight at the helmet. <laughs> Yeah, for me, it was Shaw at the helmet or Beamer at the helmet. There was no yeah. in-between. Um, superstitions? Uh, I always wear true socks for a game and I always wear the same boxes. Nice. Rugby law you would change? This is interesting because I actually thought about this one. 
I've thought about this one because I was talking to uh, one of my mates about it the other day. We were like talking, I don't know what we were talking about. Oh, it was after our game of the weekend when we had like a couple of collapsibles towards the end. I was just thinking like, it's actually really annoying. So like the two laws I've changed. So the first one is like, if like you are held up over the line, I just don't think this whole like tw- like goal line dropout thing should be a thing. Yeah. Like it's such a disadvantage to the attacking team when they've like gone over the line and we scored, you've held them up. Like I think it should be an attacking scrub. And then the second one that changed, which I'm like, I'm really keen for, is that like when the clock is up, like whether that's like half time or like end of the game, like I don't think it can end like with like a knock on. So if like if you're not the ball on, then I think you should have the scrub. Like I think if the clock is in the red, the only way the game can end should be if the ball's kicked off the field. So if obviously you get a penalty, then like yeah, you tap it and then you kick off the field, that's fine. But like it's so annoying when there's a like a knock on, like a pointless knock on, or you're going towards the goal line as a knock on. Like at least give the the, the chance to the other team. So like, see if they can win the scrum. They probably won't. Like they'll probably get in and out and kick it out. But it'd be interesting to see. Okay, interesting. Would that not discourage people to keep the ball on the pitch for a little bit longer? Yeah, maybe. But I mean, if you're pushing for a try, you're going to want to keep the ball on the field. But the opposition wants you to get it off the field, so they'll yeah. probably make it harder. Which means you might even get more penalties, or you might even get more turnovers, and then then they can kick it off. But I feel like if it's in the red, then you like you get a knock on, or the ref says like, "Oh, it's a forward yeah, it's pass." Like it's just like it's such an anti-climax. Yeah, like, at least true. give at least give the fans something to watch towards the end. Like let's have like one scrub. See, like you might even give a penalty for like the opposition for like I don't know what happens at the scrum time. I just watch it really, but you might give a penalty or something like that. So I don't know. I just think it'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah I was no. going to say, easy for you to say as a bat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I've knocked it on. Oh, bell us out. Go on. Go on, back. Cheers, boys. <laughs> yeah, we'll get a prop on next week and yeah, put forward that idea. Ask Ellis Gensch how he feels about another 10 scrums after the yeah. 80 minutes into a game. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he'd like that. No, I don't think he would. Best thing about <laughs> working in rugby? Again, there's a few, I think... The, the people you meet from so many different cultures backgrounds I think is class I think the fact you can do what you love doing on a day-to-day basis uh, and then the main thing for me is being able to perform in front of thousands of people every single weekend I, I don't think there's a better feeling than that you, you know what, didn't like, say going to the gym well I was just <laughs> I, I was just about to say last week's guest genuinely said the free gym membership impossible if I had a free gym membership the amount of times that would be used would be a big fat zero <laughs> I was good I'm I'll be giving it out I'll be like mate if you give me some money you can have this free gym membership <laughs> I look forward to seeing the Ollie Lawrence post-retirement figure in 20 years time yeah I don't mind running I don't I, I'll, I'll happily go for a run or just eat a bit cleaner but like I'm not nah there's no way. I'm not going to the gym to go and squat when I retire or go bench. <laughs> There's absolutely no chance. It's not happening. Oh, I'll be dear. working on my swing on the golf course. That's about it. I want to be as lean as possible. I need to be working on my mobility, not my strength. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I mean, it kind of brings me on to my next question. I want to talk to you about England a little bit. Thank you for doing those 15 questions, by the way. That was an eclectic mix. I wanted to ask you about, we spoke about Manu. Yeah, And the comparisons to Manu, especially when you were drafted into the England squad the first time around, and people were like, yeah, you know, this, uh, you were, what, 20 years of age at the time, maybe 21, I can't remember exactly, but, yeah. you know, this is the next coming of Manu to Elangi. Obviously, Manu loves a bench press and he loves a gym, so, <laughs> yeah. you know, certainly the, the comparison doesn't hold firm there. What did you make of that? Obviously... I, I think you're a little bit lighter than Manu, if I'm not Yeah, wrong. probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, you do have that ball-carrying explosive power, but you're also, you know, we've seen your feet, that Manu probably doesn't have the ability to sidestep people and just get on that outside shoulder. Uh, well, I mean, if I was his way, I think I'd probably struggle to do the same as well, to be honest with you. Um, he's he's a big boy. And I think, I think at first, when I had the comparison, especially when I was, I think the first comparison I saw about it was when I was like 15 or 16, after I made my England 16 debut. And I was like, oh, this is class. Like, Someone I like grew up watching, and I was like, this is unbelievable. And then like after a while, it started to become a point where I was like, I don't really want to be like Manny. Like I want to be known for like Ollie Lawrence. Like I want to have my own point of difference, and I want to be remembered for for what I was good at, not being ah, oh, he's like this. He can replace him and do this when we we don't have this. Like I just wanted to put my own mark on the game, um, and I think that that's that was a frustrating part for me and a frustrating time when. When the whole I kind of got brought into the England camp, it kind of felt like, oh, I'm, well, I'm only getting brought in because that is injured, and that kind of put probably a 
a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. But at the same time, I was like I said, I was grateful. I had the opportunity to play for England and to be brought into into camp when I did. But at the same time, I wanted to be picked for me. And then all I was seeing was our Manu's injured, so I've been replaced as the next ball carrying option. And that's nothing against Manu because Manu's like an unbelievable player. Um, he's given so much to to rugby, and like he's got so many highlights and good and good moments for England and for for Leicester. But yeah, no, I guess it's it's one of those where I think I'm at the point now where it, if people want to compare me and say like I'm like Manu, then fair enough. But I don't think we are. I think we have similar traits, but not the exact same traits. And I think the stuff he's good at, he's a lot better than me at. And I think there's things that I've got in my game that I think I'd like to say I'm better than him at. But all around, like I understand why people compare me and him, but I think he's he's a lot better ball carrier than what, what, what I can do. But yeah, no, we just have different astro- attributes, that's all. But I, I understand why people would, uh, would compare because it's just we're both like carrying the pill. One thing you said there I found so interesting. So you said that you had the feeling that you were getting picked because Manu has was injured. Yeah. And in terms of the midfield discussion, and we've had a million debates on the Rugby Paper podcast about this. Ever since Manu came onto the scene in 2011, he's effectively been England's first choice centre, even when he's not been there for three, you know, 18 months, two years, three. I can't remember the gap between the biggest gap between his appearances, but it's been massive. I'd imagine your view is kind of echoed when you're coming into England camp and it's just been a case of, okay, well, in England camp, maybe there's talk about when Manu's back, when Manu's fit, etc. Or you get told, all right, so how we did it with Manu, he did it like this and he smashed Richie McCaw, so you're going to do the same thing. And also online when, you know, I'm sure you read stuff about the impending return of Manu Tuolangi, which essentially became folklore to a point. Have you spoken to other centres that felt like that as well? Because... It can't be nice coming into a camp where it feels like you're filling a shirt for someone who, until well, until his last game against South Africa, didn't even have 50 England caps, despite having been in the game for a decade. Uh, no, I think I felt like at the time we didn't probably have as many direct carriers that were fit. And probably at the time I was playing fairly well to the point where my ball carrier was probably one of my, my strengths. Um, and obviously Eddie thought he needed that. Um, and that's why I offered. But I'm never going to be able to do that and carry the same way as Manu. Uh, a, I don't have the weight and a, I'm not as powerful as him. So it never felt a sense of keeping the shirt warm for him. I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity because of an injury. Um, and I tried to take that and I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't able to. Um, and that's as simple as that, really. Where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself as a 12 or 13 for England? I know you've played both in a white shirt. I think it's just either or. It, I think it completely depends on a game-by-game game basis. Like, there may be certain games that we play at Bath where I might have to go at 12 because we might be wanting to be attacking the scene more and they might want me to carry into that into that more. Uh, it could be the fact they want me at 12 to bite in defenders. They might be, want me at 13 because we want to play wider out because we want to attack a certain channel. Like, it completely depends game-by-game um, game and each opponent. Personally, for me, I enjoy playing 13 more. But again, I like playing 12 as well. Like, you can distribute more at 12, you get more carries at 12. Um, but 13, you get probably a bit more space and a bit more of an opportunity to beat defenders um, in the wider channels. So for me, I want to be able to be picked in both positions and have the ability to confidently play in both positions. Can I put you on the spot again very, very quickly? And (laughs) you're not allowed to say yourself for this question. Again, like I said, we've had a million questions about the uh, discussions about the England midfield. I'm going to ask you to pick your 10, 12, 13 combination for England. And I'm going to rule you out of the equation because I realise that would just wouldn't be a fun thing to ask you to do. Depends what for. An autumn game. You talk about a World Cup final. World Cup final. We'll go. We'll go World Cup final. Faz, uh, Manu, Slade. Okay, Faz at ten. Uh, Marcus is an unbelievable player. I'd say this to his face right now, and I think I'd, I'd happily say it to him. If you've got a World Cup final and you've got a hundred cap international at ten who control the game, you play the hundred cap international that control the game and can win you a final. Faz has won however many trophies of Saracens, has won how many titles of England. He's the captain of the English team. Uh, he drives standards in training. It's it's a no-brainer. And I think you need Manu in the centre because I think you need that carrying threat. And then you've got Slady who's got that boot and also he's got the ability to... He's good in defence. He's he's an all-round player that can slot in in both positions in the, in the centre. Carrying might not be his biggest part of his game, but his other attributes are world-class. Yeah, he was looking um, very think, sharp in the autumn as well. Yeah, he was. And I think like that may have been off the back of him not being selected at the start. So obviously he was injured um, and then came into camp. 
and then that probably does give you that that bit of hunger and that bit of okay, I need to prove a point now. Like he carved up in the autumn, but Stadia isn't Stadia again is a class player. He's got fifty caps for England now. Manny's got fifty caps for England. Farrell's got hundred. I think if you've got a World Cup final, I think that has to be has to be a three. Nice. It, this, at the same time, Marcus would also do a job at ten, and I would trust him to start at ten in the World Cup final. But if you had to say who's going to be, you'd want your captain at ten. Yeah, but I also think Marcus coming off the bench, say England were 15 points down, yes. coming off the bench, it really would feel like we were still very much in with a shout. Exactly. Look at the the All Blacks game when they drew. Yeah. Um, that last, like, what, 15 minutes when they started moving the ball about and they had Faz and Marcus on the field. Like, yeah. it could work in both ways. It just didn't seem to click against South Africa. That was it. Yeah. Nick, sorry, what did you want to say? Well, no, as a, firstly, I was just going to say you should send your CV into the RFU because that's quality analysis. Quite <laughs> have yourself as a player coach. But no, I was going to ask actually about your debut because that was just such a weird time, sort of a one-off Six Nations. Was it Was it in Rome that you made your debut? Yeah, I literally came on for 15 minutes at the end. Yeah, so a one-off Six Nations game followed by that really weird Autumn Nations Cup competition. Um, England sort of had a tendency at that point to just kick the leather off the ball. Um, no fans around as well. Completely different calendar to what you would have expected in the autumn. Was Yeah, I just want to know what that, that whole period was like, really. Yeah, it was strange. It was, um, I think it probably left like a, a sense of, is this what international rugby's like? Because like, obviously, yeah, the game plan we had at the time was obviously playing in the right areas of the field and we were, we were kicking the ball a lot more. Uh, and obviously coming from Worcester Wales involved basically off every single set piece so a lot of the game involved around getting the likes of me and Ted on the ball and then going to obviously to England and then having to find that opportunities to get on the ball like it was a different it was a different type of environment it kind of taught me a bit more about like how I can get onto the ball but at the same time it also taught me what the priorities were at England at the time and I think playing in these huge stadiums with no fans was just like it was like an anti-climax for me. Like, I, it's so, obviously, it's an unbelievable thing to be playing for your country, but it was so weird to be, to play with literally nobody, like, watching, like, you'd literally just be hearing every single bit of communication that was happening on the field. Um, you could hear their their team, you could hear our team, like, that's not something that's usually familiar in, in Test Match Rugby um, with 80,000 odd people um, screaming uh, during the games. But yeah, it was, it's, it's a weird experience. And I think, that's why I'm probably more hungry now to to get back into those into the England setup because I want to experience playing in front of these big crowds and I want to be able to you know like put my put my mark on on international rugby and I don't think I've had that opportunity to do that yet and it's something I'm really excited for one day. Yeah, you saw with um, the game against the All Blacks how you know electric the crowd was. I mean, it literally was a fantastic atmosphere. Um, unfortunately, as you mentioned before, you've had a taste, um, but as a result of COVID, COVID haven't played in front of a full Twickenham yet. That when that when that comes, which I'm sure it will, that'll be a special moment for you, won't it? Yeah, definitely. I think yeah, probably it's one of those goosebump moments running out in front of all those fans and knowing your family's at the game. And yeah, I think the whole. The whole, uh, the whole sense of being being there in front of eighty thousand will be a very special moment for me. Yeah, definitely. In your first sort of time with England, there were some sort of doubters and criticism, but does that sort of fuel the fire for the next time you, you play for your country to prove the doubters wrong? Not really, not the doubters. To be honest with you, I, I try to stay away from social media um, after games because I mean, every man in the dog has an opinion. You'll have Joe Bloggs down the street that will say you're the best player in the world, and you'll have people that have played test match rugby say you're the worst player in the world and I think for me like I know if I've played well or not um, the head coach knows if I've played well or not the players know if you've played well or not like there's certain people around you that you lean on and that will give you that honest and honest feedback and those are the ones that are important but most importantly my own opinion is the, is the important thing like if I come off the field knowing I've given everything but I've touched the ball twice and I've barely got in the game but we've won the game like for me that that's a that's a successful game. Yeah, I've not managed to implement my own style on the game, but that's not going to happen in rugby all the time. Like you're not going to be able to have these X factor moments in every single game. You might get one, you might get zero. It's about doing like the unseen stuff, and that's not what everyone else sees. Uh, so then, yeah, when when you, when you do play games and you you don't have these moments that everyone expects you to have, they think you've played awfully. Uh, but I think uh, they probably need to wake up or look at the game in a different perspective. 
I think when you say that, it's super, super interesting. What comes to mind is obviously that game against Scotland, 63 minutes before your first touch, I think it was. And I guess from the outside in, the response would be, okay, well, I guess next time you do get that, when you do get that chance, it would be go looking for work or, you know, make yourself a little bit more of an option, but you don't see it like that. Uh, no. Um, it, the Scotland game is a weird game. I just, the opportunity didn't present, present itself in those in those first 60 minutes uh, for me to get on the ball. There was other options that were used around me. Obviously, we we kicked a lot more back then. And that that was just the game itself. But yeah, like there are there are ways that you can get into the game, whether that's offset piece, whether that's in open play. But yeah, when going into the next game, my thought wasn't, okay, right, I need to make sure I get on the ball 10 times this game. My thought is I need to do what's best for the team and follow the game plan. I think that's the one thing that if I ever got back into the setup again, is I would make sure I focused on being myself more and allowing myself to to be vulnerable and do things that not people are going to expect me to do um, and not just do what was scripted to do. Um, and that was probably because more so I wanted to make sure I was holding on to a shirt more so than playing the game of rugby that I wanted to play and the reason I got there in the first place. Can I ask what you made of England's attack in the autumn? Obviously, there was something missing. Um, I suppose, one, what did you feel was missing? And two, was it frustrating when you thought, OK, well, probably thought you could be making a difference to it? I didn't really think too much about myself, to be honest with you. When I'm not selected, uh, I kind of just look at it as like, okay, it's a game of rugby, I watch it for how it is. Like, I don't kind of look at it in a personal way. It can be frustrating when you see things and you're like, oh, like you could have done that. But then... You don't know what that person's thinking at that moment. and You don't know what that person's been told. You don't know the game plan. The attack didn't really click at times, but I don't know whether that was down to personnel. I don't think so. I think it was just it was just one of those games where, like, I think maybe just off the mark, maybe just, I don't know. It's really difficult because when you're not in camp, you don't understand, like, the bigger picture of things. You don't understand what they're working towards. You don't understand what the aim of that game is. There's a lot of things that we don't know, and I think people forget that sometimes. So I couldn't answer that question, uh, to be honest with you. I don't know what was missing, because because you've got the players there to win games of rugby, um, like world class players. But yeah, it just it just wasn't it wasn't there. But like I said, I think people forget autumn isn't isn't the one that is important, and neither is the Six Nations the one that's important. Is a uh, is is next summer, and I think that's what that squad is building towards. And um, as long as it clicks by then, I think. No one will remember the autumn of the Six Nations if they uh, if they do well in the World Cup. I think that's that is the end goal. They're just building towards that. Yeah, exactly that. And we obviously won't talk about the New England head coach, but we will see how things go towards the World Cup. Um, Ollie, we're going to wrap up there. Massive, massive thank you for talking about everything that we spoke about today. Um, the Rugby Paper Podcast really appreciates it. Yeah, I want to wish you well in the Challenge Cup and for the rest of the season with Bath. And I hope to see you back in an England shirt soon. No worries, thank you very much for having me. As always, pick up a copy of the Rugby Paper in stores on Sundays or get it delivered to you through our digital subscription. We will see you next week for episode 46.